Welcome to See Uncovered, a place where you'll find the stories of proven entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Ashley Henschel. So welcome to CEO Uncovered. Today joining me is Michael Neinheitz, President and CEO of UNICEF USA. He has worked on humanitarian efforts for the past 25 years. And at UNICEF, he is leading important initiatives to improve the lives of children around the world. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. So what sparked your passion for nonprofits and how did you get started? You know, I started my career as a, as a journalist. I spent 10 years doing that and had the privilege to do some international reporting, uh, including um, on some uh, health issues in Central America. And while I was there, I met, um, I was in a, in a very poor community there and I met uh, a nurse there. She was a local woman from the community who'd gone off to, uh, to nursing school and then, and then through a training program focused on really public health matters. And her whole vision was to go back to her community and make it better. And she was working with with mothers on, on clean home environments and children on uh, water and sanitation and farmers on improved uh, agriculture techniques. I mean, real public health specialist. And I was so impressed by her. Uh, I just had this epiphany moment that I thought, I, just, I think I, what I want to do with my life is just find people like her and help her do her work. I mean, who are we as outsiders uh, to have any idea what that community needs? But she sure does. So there must be a way to get behind her and help her. So I found the, the US-based organization that had done public health training for her and, and uh, joined them because that's what I figured I wanted to do. And then how did you get into UNICEF? So I um, uh, had the privilege to work at that organization for a while and was there long enough, ended up becoming the CEO there and got recruited away to a, another global health focused organization for about six years. And uh, and then uh, about two and a half years ago, I got a phone call from a recruiter who um, who said uh, uh, UNICEF. And if you've been in my business for 25 years, as I have been, UNICEF is the, the gold standard. It is the largest global humanitarian organization impacting kids around the world. And uh, a chance to join UNICEF was just too good to pass up. I, I don't blame you. So really, can you give us just what UNICEF does? Sure. Uh, so we are, again, the largest global humanitarian uh, and development agency focused on the welfare of children around the world. And um, we really uh, work uh, to make sure that every child uh, has, has an opportunity to be healthy, educated, protected, and respected. And that means we do programs, uh, everything from uh, clean water programs and nutrition to, to being the world's largest organization uh, doing vaccinations around the world. We vaccinate 45% of the world's under five kids every year to make sure they're protected from, from disease. We focus on education programs to improve education for people in, in really low resource and excluded communities. Mm -hmm. uh, we uh, have programs around um, uh, you know, emergency response and uh, responding to climate issues 
issues and and uh, and civil war and uh, conflict. And so we're very active in every big emergency around the world, providing basic services for children to give them an opportunity to uh, uh, to not only live but but to thrive. What has been UNICEF's response to the war in Ukraine, and what are you guys doing to help those affected? So UNICEF, uh, uh, one of our um, uh, one of the unique things about us is we're at we're really active just about everywhere. We have uh, office and staff in about 190 countries and territories, and that included Ukraine. Uh, we've been in Ukraine for about 25 years working on children's issues there. So we were there before uh, this war started. Uh, with staff on the ground, uh, operation centers in about seven or eight different locations in the country. Uh, so we've been very active within the country, uh, uh, bringing in critical medical supplies and water and, um, and doing mobile medical teams and mobile mental health uh, teams to deal with the psychological trauma on, on children through this as well as working in the neighboring countries, um, setting up refugee centers for the women and children who've crossed over uh, into other countries. So uh, we're very active both um, in the country uh, still today and, uh, and in the neighboring countries where the refugees have settled. That's amazing. What would you say makes UNICEF USA so unique? I think uh, there's a couple of things that make uh, UNICEF uh, broadly unique. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned over the years is that if you want to make sustainable change, you really need to do two things. You need to be active on the ground, providing direct services that improve the lives of, in our case, children and their families. But you also need to be able to influence government policy, law, practice, uh, the way uh, the governments approach children, whether they are um, implementing programs that are respectful and helpful to children. And UNICEF um, itself is a UN agency, an agency of the United Nations. It's the United Nations Children's Fund. And because of that, we have unique access to governments. They listen to us. Uh, we have 75 years worth of experience of what benefits children. So we can work at both ends of that spectrum, uh, working with governments to change their policies and improve their policies uh, to make the environment better for children, and then provide direct services that actually um, make a, a, an immediate benefit uh, and uh, set them up for, for long-term success. In this time with Corona, how has schools and children been impacted by that? Uh, such significant impacts around the world. I mean, um, you know, we, we certainly felt that and your, your, your listeners felt the impact of, of, of COVID on disruption of their school and moving to online and trying to make all that work. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, so just like children all the way around the world, I remember uh, talking virtually to a, a, a girl in, in Sudan uh, in a very poor community in Sudan who uh, was uh, trying to get her lessons yeah. during the height of the pandemic over the radio, sitting in her little home with a dim light and her notebook open, listening to a radio, which is the main means of communication there to try to follow uh, what was going on and, and keep up to date on her schooling. So it was a very difficult thing. We know that lots of children have dropped out of education. Uh, we have statistics that estimate there may be as many as 11 million girls around the world who have dropped out of education entirely. That puts them at risk for things like child marriage, for trafficking, uh, for all kinds of unhealthy situations. 
uh, because they dropped out of school for that time. So we know how critical it is that um, that children have, have uh, the right to have access to school. And we've been championing that all around the world. What do you guys do to help these children who are not in school? Are there resources, um, ways that? Yeah, for instance, we developed a, a program with the support of Microsoft uh, that we call the Learning Passport, and it was originally uh, made for refugee children. So these, again, children who had to flee their country for one reason or another, typically conflict, but it could be natural disaster. They have to flee their country, um, but uh, the Learning Passport gives them access uh, through digital means to their national curriculum. So even while they're outside of their country, they can access uh, the, their curriculum and, and, and keep, keep up to date on their learning. So during COVID, we transitioned that in a number of countries uh, for uh, digital learning for, uh, for students uh, that were in their own countries, but just outside of school. So in the places where technology was available to do that, uh, we found that to be really successful. But I gave you that, the, the um, example of the student in Sudan that I, uh, that I talked to virtually that uh, we work there with the Ministry of Education and with radio stations uh, to make sure that the curriculum was being delivered uh, over radio, which is the means that they have to, to receive it. And the kids were able to try to stay up with their work. So, you know, varying different ways to try to solve that problem. And I saw that you guys are leading in giving kids the vaccines. How did you go about that? And where are you mostly handing out these vaccinations? Right. So again, uh, we're the world's leading procurer and distributor of vaccines, and that is uh, really focused on childhood vaccines uh, that children need under the age of five, including polio and measles and you know the basic vaccines that yeah. we all get to under five. So that's an ongoing piece of work for us. Mm -hmm. What we did during COVID uh, was because we have the infrastructure in place to procure vaccines, to globally move them around to in-country uh, get them to clinics and hospitals and to the vaccinators who actually put the shots in arms, we were asked to do that with COVID vaccines, not for children uh, at first, but for adults, for healthcare workers, for social service workers, for high uh, risk adults in 92 um, lower and middle income uh, countries. So we used our expertise and our infrastructure to play a critical role in distributing about a billion and a half doses of COVID vaccines uh, as part of our effort to combat the uh, pandemic globally. That's amazing. I wanted to ask you, what has been your biggest challenge in your career and how have you overcome it? Well, I think one of the one of the challenges that that, uh, that those of us who work globally in um, in uh, in communities uh, you know far from where we are is trying to really understand our role. Um, you know, it kind of goes back to the story I told about the nurse uh, that I met in Central America who kind of changed my life because I thought I just want to help her. It's an understanding that while we have resources, money, we have technical know-how, we have um, experience, that in the end, the solutions to the problems in communities all around the globe are in those communities. And, and th this finding the right balance to be supportive, uh, to let uh, local people, local organizations, local governments lead as to what needs to be done and find our appropriate role in supporting them. Mm -hmm. um, it's, you know, sometimes we say where the money is, the power is. And if we have a lot of the resources, we have to be so careful about how that power is 
exercise that we disempower ourselves enough to allow um, uh, to make sure that the that local leadership, local voice, local people uh, are really the ones leading in the solutions and we're being helpful and supportive. Would you say there is a tool or skill that has contributed to your success thus far? Yeah, so, you know, I, I said I spent the first 10 years of my career as a journalist, and I remember my, my father used to criticize us journalists. He would say, you know a little bit about a lot of things, but you don't know much about anything. And the idea there was we weren't an expert in any particular subject, but as a journalist, you learn to learn an, uh, enough about whatever subject you're writing about to find the experts who do know, to ask the right questions, to um, to know when things don't quite sound right, so you push a little bit harder. And frankly, you know, today as the CEO of a of a large global organization like this, it's kind of the same. I am not the expert in finance, but I have a chief financial officer who is. I'm not the expert in marketing, but I have a chief marketing officer who is. I'm not the expert in in global programs, but I have a global programs officer who is. And my job is to is to make sure that they're um, uh, that they have the that they have what they need to succeed, and that I know enough about each of those areas to ask the right questions, to know when things don't sound quite right, to push a little bit deeper. So I think some of those skills I had as a journalist actually play pretty well uh, today in my role as a CEO. Is there a sort of leadership style that you like to follow as a CEO? I think um, in, in, in just the way I just described, first of all, there's enough, um, yeah, you have to have this really good balance of, of confidence in yourself and your vision and humility to know that uh, you don't have all the answers. Mm-hmm. And so my, you know, this is, this is uh, not um, uh, anything original to me, but to build a really strong team around me mm-hmm. of, of highly competent people uh, who know their areas of expertise and um, don't need a lot of handholding. And my job is to really create the space for them to do their best work. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and again, it's finding this right balance between confidence and humility, between uh, having enough experience and knowledge to know what you're doing, but recognizing you don't know everything uh, at the same time. What drives you at this point in your career? And do you have goals that you've set for yourself for the future? Um, you know, I've just had, I've had the privilege now to, to be the CEO at three different global humanitarian and development organizations. Um, I, I, I don't take that for granted. It's really been an honor and, and a privilege. And here to be at, at UNICEF USA now is, um, is you know, the greatest uh, honor I've, I've had. Um, I, you know, I tend to boil it down still to um, uh, going back to that nurse I met in Central America. It's like, my goal really is just to continue in, in the way that I can and the way we lead our organizations to, to find people like her who are creating solutions in their own communities and, uh, and help them do that work. Uh, I, I, I love the way that feels to me as sort of a full circle from that first impression I had so long ago uh, to the kind of work that we still do uh, today. So that's what I really count as my, um, as my, as my own career goals from here is how many more of those people can we find to help to do really good work? As someone who has a ton of experience and have been in journalism, do you have any advice for nonprofits that are struggling to get their message out there? 
Yeah, you know, I think too often maybe ourselves in the nonprofit sector and and people who look at the nonprofit sector think of us as uh, just do-gooders with good hearts. Um, We want to make the world a better place. Uh, We need to be as professional as any other business. Uh, In fact, maybe even more so. And by that, I mean, we need to really understand, for instance, marketing. We need strong marketing expertise to get our message out, Mm -hmm. to make that message clear, to draw people to what we have to offer, which is to engage them in important work around the world. Mm -hmm. We need to have the highest and best operating procedures, financial procedures. We're not just do-gooders out there uh, trying to make the world a better place. We run really important businesses uh, that deliver a different kind of bottom line uh, in, in social impact. Uh, and so we need to see ourselves like that and treat ourselves uh, like that, uh, being experts in the different parts of our uh, work. What marketing strategies does UNICEF USA use? Well, you know, the whole range of them yeah. from, uh, from you know, uh, digital marketing to marketing data, gathering data about the people that support us and making sure we're tailoring messages to them. Uh, you know, you know how if you go, uh, you know, to Amazon now, they're tracking you enough to know the stuff you've been interested in. And so they pitch you the things that you're interested in. You know, our marketing isn't any really different than that. We're able to, to know the things you've shown interest in by what you've clicked on, by, by um, what you've responded to. And what we want to do is, is give you information that's in line with your interests. And um, that is both good marketing, frankly, but we think it's good stewardship of the of the donors and the supporters we have that we're providing them the information that they want uh, that they need. How can our listeners give back and create change in your opinion? Well, I think you know we, we are such strong champions of the role of of, of, of young people, children, uh, adolescents, uh, teenagers, young adults in uh, making sure that their voice is heard. Um, we believe strongly at UNICEF um, in this idea that that every child should be uh, not only healthy, educated, and protected, but respected in the sense of um, they, uh, their voice should be at the table. We should be listening to what they're saying they want, what they need. And so uh, we have various ways to do that. Here in the U.S., we have a, 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 a campus clubs program in high schools and colleges all across the country. So there are UNICEF clubs in, in hundreds of high schools and, and colleges, maybe in some of uh, your listeners already, uh, and people could join up with those and involve with us in advocacy efforts uh, on behalf of children to move federal legislation and state legislation forward to advocate for UNICEF's uh, work around the globe to be involved locally in efforts to support children. And if there's not a club in your high school or college, we can help you start one. Uh, so we'd love for you to, to look at that. You can go to the website, unicefclubs.org uh, and check that out and, uh, and get involved with us. How do you maintain focus in such an important role? It's a hard thing to do because uh, there are um, many issues around us. So uh, even if you look at sort of the global crises around the world, we've been so focused on Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, of late, but that didn't take away the huge need of 
of children who are suffering in places like Yemen and Syria and, and in, in now in the in the famines in the Horn of Africa and Ethiopia and Somalia and places like that. Uh, so there are many ways to, to turn. Uh, yeah. uh, and so we have, we continue to look for where can we make the biggest difference um, and, uh, and and try to focus there. We can't solve every problem in the entire world. Mm -hmm. So let's focus on the ones where we can make the biggest impact and the biggest difference. Lastly, I always ask, if you could give a piece of advice mm -hmm. to a teenager college version of yourself, mm -hmm. what would you tell him? You know, I'm a, uh, but by nature, a planner. Uh, uh, I, I, I have a vision, I vision for my life, uh, things I want to accomplish. I've laid out a, a path. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think those are all really good things. And we should have that because it keeps us moving forward. But we also need to be open to things we don't expect that come along that might change that. And uh, my own experience is that I had a path laid out for a journalism career for the first 10 years and then beyond that, where I wanted to go, what I wanted to accomplish. And then I had this epiphany moment in, in Central America with that nurse and in her community that put me on a different path. And I, I was open to it, didn't have blinders on, even though I had a plan. Mm -hmm. I was open to uh, new things that might come along. And I would say, again, finding this right balance of those two things, of being intentional and planful for how you want to build your life and your career, uh, but being open to new inputs that may come along uh, along the way. Thank you for joining us, Mike. I love learning about your story and the great things that UNICEF USA is doing for the world today. Thanks for listening to See Uncovered. You can check out more at www.createeveryopportunity.org. Thanks again.